When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, and welcome back to the Tomahawk Take podcast. I am your host, Jake Mastriani, co-editor of TomahawkTake.com. And with me is my co-editor and one of my co-hosts on the podcast, Alan Carpenter. Hello. And joining us, as always, is Fred Owens. Good evening. And guys, we are about two weeks through the season here, and the Braves are off to a bit of a rough start. That may be an understatement. They are 5-8 and eight through the first two weeks of the season, uh, and that's after starting 0-4, fighting back to 4-4, four and four, uh, and then now they're at 5-8 after losing 3-4 or four to the Marlins. And it's really been a, a rough week for the Braves. If you go back to Sunday night, uh, in the finale against the Phillies, had a chance to sweep the Phillies on Sunday night baseball, a 6-6 game, and then the Alec Bone play at home plate. Ruled that he was safe. Clearly, replay showed that he wasn't safe. He still hasn't touched home plate. Uh, but the replay system continues to fail us. I don't know. Well, I do know what they can do about it, but I don't know when MLB is going to wake up and see that the replay system is just completely broken and do something to fix it. Uh, I mean, I've heard this suggestion a lot now, and I think it's the obvious way to go, but don't let the call on the field dictate what is happening in the replay room. Don't even let the people doing the replay know what the call on the field was, if that's possible. I understand with video and all of that, you may see things that tell you what the call was, but there's got to be something done here, Alan. The, the replay system's broke. You've seen, you saw the hit-by-pitch in the Mets. I, there was another uh, tweet I saw from Jeff Passan where uh, they went to replay whether or not a ball was foul-tipped, and the ball was like a good half a foot away from the bat, never even touched the bat, and they said that he foul-tipped it. This this replay system is just getting worse at this point. 
I don't understand what they're looking at. I mean, <laughs> they they apparently in the, in this case they apparently decided that there was enough evidence to consider overturning it because they took four and a half minutes or so to to do the replay review, but then they came back and decided. Oh well, apparently we see uh Bohm touching home plate somehow somewhere in that process. This boggles my mind because uh how can you have one and not the other? It 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 doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The other thing that you mentioned, the hit by pitch that uh cost the Marlins a game perhaps was a, another situation where you've got a call that should be reviewable, but by the rules is, are, is not reviewable. And that's the judgment call about, uh, some guy, whether he can get out of the way or not. I, in, in that case, I, I would almost advocate a different rule being played that, um, a, a, a common sense rule put in place. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, like the batter needs to demonstrably try and move out of the way. Uh, or at least show some sort of a, a hitch in his uh, uh, approach to uh, hitting. I mean, I, I could see if you're getting ready to swing a bat, then you're you're essentially committed to doing that. But I, I've seen lots of cases where a batter will start doing that and then flinch, realizing he's going to get hit, but being unable to get out of the way. That sure wasn't the case in that uh, Mets-Marlins game. If anything, uh, the batter was moving into the pitch uh, and and seemed like he was clearly trying to take one for the team, especially since his elbow was well padded there. I mean, there's there's a lot of problems here, uh, but I got to think that one of them has to be that the umpires are simply are unwilling to uh, effectively criticize their brethren. And somebody needs to have a, a sit down with those guys in New York and say, hey, look, we're doing this because we know it's everything comes fast, that the umpires don't necessarily have the best angles. Uh, everything is in real time and there's nuances and very close calls here. That's why the, uh, things are happening this way. And that's why we've got this replay system. It's OK to make the right call. <laughs> That's your job. You've got one job. Do that one job. Make the right call. I don't care how long it takes necessarily. Just make the right call and let the chips fall where they may. And right now, it doesn't seem like they're doing that. In fact, that next replay review on a uh, out at second base that the the, the Braves uh, had challenged, there w- didn't seem like there's anywhere near as much evidence to overturn that one, and yet it got overturned. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I don't understand what's going on, but uh, I, I could rant all this for a while, but might as well stop. Yeah, Fred, I, I don't get it either. And again, I don't. Maybe you got a solution. I, I know you're great at coming up with with wild <laughs> ideas, but well, I mean, how how does Major League Baseball fix this? Because it's broken. It's obvious and apparent to everyone that it's broken. Well, you know, the the thing about the call to play the other day was they the the, the, the official answer was MLB came out and said. The reviewing crew couldn't see enough evidence that Bohm missed the plate. Now, I don't know what they were looking at because the rest of the world didn't see his foot land anywhere near the plate. Uh, but that was their story. Ken Rosenthal had a nice piece about the, uh, about the uh, replay and how to fix it in the athletic. And I agreed with some of it, some of it I didn't. But he did the one thing he said that is absolutely the truth, and I wrote this when replay first came out. If you dig way back in the archives, you'll find my find my piece that I said 
MLB is trying to be cheap on replay and it's going to bite them. They, they're doing this after the hockey thing goes on. They do it the central, the central replay room, but uh, there's too much baseball going on at the same time. And the, the problem with it is it takes too long. The high skaters can skate around and be fine, but in a baseball game, you can't do that. The way to do this is the way they should have done it in the first place. Put an official in the ballpark with a representative from each side that nobody knows. In other words, the umpires don't know who's in the room and they don't care. And that guy watches the game and he can tell immediately if something may be over, may be appealed. In fact, there's no need for an appeal. If he's watching it and both sides are watching it from the room, they say that's going to be challenged and you don't need to wait for the manager to go, Hey, I want to challenge that or the umpires to get together and talk about whether they want to challenge it. There's a guy in the ballpark who's watching all the time. And when he gets a request from one of the two, two people in there that represent the team, they said that's going to be challenged. And he cha- he looks at it and gives them an instant in an earwig in their ear instantly. That would work. The reason it didn't, Rosenthal wasn't used. Rosenthal estimated it would add two and a half million dollars a year in uh, annual pay alone. That the umpires union might not like not knowing who's in the room or not knowing uh, uh, it, what's going on up there. Not the people not being umpires making the calls. And frankly, I think an umpire has to make the call because they're the only ones that know the rules that well. Uh, but you, you, there are independent outsiders who watch the game every day and know the rules well enough to make the calls, I guess. But the, the, the idea that you have to, the guy has to pick up the phone in the dugout and call the guy in the replay room and say, hey, was that close enough to replay? And the guy puts down his pretzels and looks at it and says, yeah, I think it was. Uh, and then the, the bench coach tells the manager, yeah, I think we ought to do that. And the manager makes this funny headset signal to the umpire, who's had the cigarette and a cup of coffee by then, and the umpire calls the guy out with a little little other headsets, and everybody in the stadium watches the thing over and over again and knows immediately whether it was right or not. Three minutes later, we get the call. So this whole thing takes way too long, and it doesn't need to have all that all that wait time in it. You realize that if you've got 14 games or 15 games going on, you could have four replays hit that place at the same time, and you've only got three officials in New York. What? How does that work? I know they've got a backup place in, in San Francisco, but MLB tried to do this on the cheap. They throw money at everything else, but they tried to do this on the cheap. And the only way it's going to work is to get, them, get it done locally, instantly, by people in the ballpark who don't care who wins the game as long as the rules are right. And get rid of these. If he slides off the bay, he approach, a runner's coming to third base, running 20 miles an hour. He slides, and for you have to freeze the frame to see that there's air between his uniform pants and the base, and you can call him out on that. No, if you can't see the air in full-fledged, in full flight, then he's out, out, he's safe. That's the way that's supposed to be played, and that's the way the spirit and the intent of the law was. But when you get into this, uh, people start nitpicking, and, and you lose the whole spirit of the thing. Independent, independent evaluators, every ballpark has one, no delays. So let me just ask you real quick, Fred. Do you do you think replay should stay in the game, or would you rather be taken out of the game completely? Oh, you can't. You're not going to take it out now. I know, I know you can't. I know you can't. But I'm just telling you, like, if you had the choice, would has it helped the game or hurt the game? I won't replay in the game because I watched Eric Gregg call strikes. I watched the <laughs> I mean, watched the Minnesota Twins lose a game to the Yankees on a on a ball that was four foot foul called fair. 
I watched home runs. Uh, the the Yankees or the uh, the Yankees get a home run because a guy reached over with his glove and caught the ball and pulled it back, and the people couldn't see that. No, I want replay in the game. I want to settle the big calls. I want to get them right. If yeah. you're if you're going to make a call in the game, make the right call, and don't you know? We're not trying to pick fly eyelashes out of black pepper here. If so, he slid it across the bag. As long as he didn't go off the bag completely, uh, if there's air between the hit, the pant leg and the bag, he's still on the bag because he just hasn't landed yet. He touched the bag. That, that's that's stupid. Uh, but uh, the, the Conforto call, the umpire admits he made a mistake. He should never should never gone to review because he should have called him out, and he knows that. But if we go back to the Posey rule, for example. That's been in the rule books for years. You can't you can't block a base without the ball. That's against the rules. It's and it's also against the rules to deviate from the baseline in an attempt to break it out of double play. Been in the rules as far back as I could find out. However, they had to make a new rule. Why? The umpires weren't enforcing it. It's the same with this. Uh, like Allen said, they stick their arm into the zone. That became a thing back when Biggio was doing it. As long as the umpires are going to ignore some rules at the instruction of the league, then those rules are going to get broken. And then somebody's going to get hurt, or there's going to be a Conforto complaint because replay shows it, and we're going to have to make new rules and find new processes. They've got a, they've got a bucket of worms called by, caused by slack enforcement and nitpicking, and I don't know if they'll ever get it sorted out, but they, they will sort it out, I hope. Yeah, they got a lot to work out in this off season. I mean, not just the collective bargaining agreement. There's a lot of stuff with with umpires and replay that need to get worked out. And I, I mean, I'm fine with replaying the game. I didn't love it when it came in because I think it slows down a game that many people already consider slow. But I, I'm kind of I'm with you where get the big plays, get the obvious ones, the obvious misses. That's what replay should be doing in baseball. Again, like you said, not the ones where oh let's let's slow it down, see if his foot came up off the bag, stuff like that. Um, you know where you watch it 20 times and you're still not sure. Those I, we don't need to do. We don't need to spend a lot of time on. It's the obvious ones. It's the you know Gal, you know Galarraga no hitter ones. I mean it's stuff like that. You know, the the obvious calls that need to be fixed by replay and need to be fixed quickly. Um, but, yeah, these these long delays to try to figure out if a guy's foot bounced up off the bag and stuff like that, I, I can do away with all of that. But when you open up the door for replay, you open it up for everything. So, again, you know, like you said, it's not something you can take away now. It's there, but it's got to be fixed. It's got to be tweaked. It's It's terrible. I mean, that's all there is to say about it. We, again, we could talk about this for the whole time. We'll move into more of the Braves uh, week. And, again, that just kind of kicked off really a bad week. I don't really think the replay necessarily had anything to do with it, but um, just a really bad series of events against the Marlins uh, in that game on Monday. Um, really just blew that game. Really, that was A.J. Minter coming in and just walking everybody, uh, blowing that game. And then the Braves even had a chance uh, to take the, the to walk it off. But Ender can't get a bunt down. Just a really ugly game. And the Braves had this kind of series with the Marlins last year, too, right? Where the Marlins came in, they just did all the fundamental things right and came in and beat the Braves. And the Braves don't know how to play fundamental baseball at times. They don't know how to manufacture runs. And teams like the Marlins, you know, coached by, you know, give Don Mattingly credit. He's a, a good coach in that regard. His team's going to play the game the correct way and, and take advantage of other teams' mistakes. And that's exactly what the Marlins did in this series. They took advantage of the Braves' mistakes and miscues. They got some timely hits for sure. 
Um, but I mean, the Marlins just straight up outplayed the Braves and almost swept a four game series, if not for the comeback win on Thursday. So uh, there's a lot of blame to go around here. You can certainly, you know, you can blame the starting pitching, which is not being great. You can blame the bullpen, um, which has blown some, some late leads. You can blame the offense, which hasn't gotten going outside of Ronald Acuna and, and Freddie Freeman's starting to pick things up a little bit and Darno's been, been okay. Uh, but outside of those three, I mean, the rest of the offense has been just garbage, honestly. Um, they look terrible to start the year. So, I mean, the blame can go all around. Braves are just a bad team right now. I don't think they're going to be a bad team all year. But, Alan, they're just they're playing bad baseball. They are, and really it's coming from some odd sources, too. Max Fried, before he got hurt, was not pitching very well. Um Ian Anderson, certainly we expected him maybe to come back to earth, but uh, he's kind of bounced uh, as he's uh, hit the ground here, too, and and not uh, pitched up to his capabilities either. Either that or everybody's just starting to get a book on him and figuring him out. Uh, there always is that possibility. The, the real problem, I think, though, is still the, the number of walks that are coming out of the bullpen. And these are guys that don't typically walk a lot of guys. And that's the, that's been the head scratchers because we, we've seen guys that, uh, uh, that traditionally do throw strikes and do get guys out, uh, from, from their pitching and they're, they're walking batters inexplicably. And it's those kind of things that just give away runs late. Uh, so even if you've got a, a starting rotation that's not quite up to par they're they're certainly keeping you into get into the games and that's allowing the bullpen to give them away when they walk walk the batters late in the game and that's unfortunate that's 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 just not the way uh this uh, lineup was constructed in the bullpen i i'd have to wonder if chris martin's departure uh for injury has uh disrupted things a little bit too uh because that's be- meant a uh a change in roles out out there in the bullpen and maybe they're still trying to adjust to that a little bit i i don't know uh for sure that's a bit of speculation on my part but at the same time uh uh he has sort of proven to be a a bit of a, a fulcrum point in the past out there and when he went down a couple of years ago that just as playoffs started um it, it caused a cascade effect that uh, did not uh, bode well for the rest of the the series that they, they were in so i i gotta think that they'll get things squared away the one bright spot out in the bullpen has been sean newcomb He's walked three still in just four innings, but he's also got 11 strikeouts. Uh, so he, he's certainly uh, holding up his end uh, and done better than we expected. Waskari Noah um, has pitched so well that he's uh, usurped Bryce Wilson as as the fifth rotation guy. And right now he's looking almost like the ace of the staff, uh, even as they're still trying to get him stretched out. Uh, so I, I'm glad to see those kinds of things happening, but uh, at the same time, we we really got to uh, get these walks under control and and start getting some guys out because certainly the the other side, uh, what we've seen from Philadelphia and, and the Marlins, those guys are getting the job done in the bullpen. Yeah, and Fred, I mean, I wasn't really concerned about this bullpen coming into the year. I thought Will Smith, AJ Mentor, Tyler Matzik, you know, um, Chris Martin, I thought they would be solid back end guys. But I think we forget, you know, Minter and Matzik were very good 
in a short sample size last year. And I mean, Matic was pretty much out of baseball before that. Minter was a mess before that. And Matic's been good. Um, hasn't given up a run yet. Uh, so I mean, he, he's been solid, but I'm really worried that we're, we're getting back to the old AJ Minter here. And, you know, really, if just one of those guys aren't who we need them to be, then this bullpen could be in trouble. Yeah. The thing about AJ is that I think he's, he's the kind of guy that's, uh, you remember Reitzma? Remember Chris Reitzma? He's got all yeah. the, Chris Reitzma had all that stuff. But in the ninth inning, it just wasn't there consistently enough to, for him to do the job. And I think that's the case with, with AJ. And you can see this building up because, well, frankly, I thought they went to Smith too many times in a row. And so when you go to Smith three times in a row and you don't have Martin there to use, as Alan said, you plug in AJ at that point and let him do that. I would have gone to Newcomb because Newcomb will go out there and he's going, he's trying to become a starter. He wants to show off. So I'm, I'm thinking Newcomb can do this now. And I would have probably gone to Newcomb instead of AJ because AJ didn't look good his last time out. But I, you know, I sort of understand why, why he did that. Now the point about Martin leaving, yes, you're, you're right. That did upset the balance of the bullpen. The other thing that upsets the bullpen is why is Nate Jones there throwing home run balls? Mm. I mean, I mean, home runs happen to all pitchers. Bless them all. You could throw the best pitch in the world and somebody, somebody who's really good with the back and hit it out the ballpark. But that's not what happened to Nate Jones. Nate Jones has been laying them down the middle and they've been hitting them, making them souvenirs. Uh, and that short arm approach, I just, you know, there aren't many short arm pitchers and I think that's why. Uh, the, uh, I just don't know why Nate Jones is there. I don't know why Luke Jackson's there. Uh, and with Martin, I mean, the other day, yesterday, not today, but yesterday's game, Luke Jackson was a perfect example of being Luke Jackson. He put a man on base, then he threw that ground ball, double play ball, and, and Riley bailed him out with a double play. Then he probably pitched himself into trouble again. And that's Luke Jackson in a nutshell. Why do you want that on your team? There are better options out there. I just think the bullpen, um, with everybody healthy and rested and in rotation and doing their thing is fine, but... It hasn't been fine. They haven't been healthy. They can't stay in line. And I think there's a problem out there that's going to need to be solved. Yeah. And you just, you hope it gets solved soon. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be internally. I saw a quote from Snicker talking about, you know, these being able to use all these bullpen pitchers the last two weeks is really, I guess, shown him something and kind of figured things out. You know, I guess he's, just now learning and understanding which guys he can trust where. That was the gist of the comment that I got, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but that was basically what my takeaway was from it is that, you know, these past two weeks he's been able to use guys in certain situations and been able to use them a lot, and now he's kind of figuring out, you know, where to best use them. And I don't I don't know what that answer is because none of these guys have really looked well in their, their particular roles. I mean, even Will Smith hasn't looked steady in the – in the ninth role. I mean, I still think he's the best option there, but you know, yeah, Chris Martin going down, like you said, Al, I think it threw a wrench in things and then not really having a, a righty behind him, um, which I think Matzik and Minter can get out righties and lefties. So it's not a huge deal, but still you would love to have another righty, you know, out there for the back end of games other than Martin. And really once Martin went down, we didn't have that. And I get Luke Jackson hasn't given up a run. You're going to have people commenting, <laughs> saying that Luke Jackson still hasn't given up a run. That's just by product of a miracle at this point. I mean, uh, he, he likes to play with fire, and eventually he's going to get burned. We, we see it happen every year. But the pitching just – the bullpen hasn't been good. 
there something needs to be done. Roles need to be figured out. People need to settle in. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's never too, too early in the year to go out to get bullpen pieces. I mean, we saw, uh, Alex do it a couple of years ago when the bullpen was bad to start the season. So I, I don't know what options are out there. I haven't come in the mar- market to look, but yeah, Nate Jones, I mean, he can be replaced at this point. Grant Dayton can be replaced at this point. Luke Jackson can be replaced at this point. Uh, I mean, there's, there's other arms down there that can, in the, at the alternate site that could come up that at least could get a shot and be better than, than what these guys have been so far. I mean, Grant Nathan has been pointless at this, at this part of the season. I mean, until the other day when he came in in a blowout, he had pitched a third of an inning. And I didn't like the idea of carrying an extra reliever, and I still don't think it's a great idea. And Dayton's just basically been a wasted spot. So I, I don't understand Snickers' thought process there, his reasoning, but bullpen's got to get figured out soon. And really, these guys just got to step up. But it hasn't just been the pitching. Like I said, blame can be certainly put all around. Um, You go to the offensive side of things and outside of Ronald. And like I said, Freeman's been hitting a little better lately. Nobody in this lineup is hitting right now I mean it's it's just difficult even looking at the numbers and TDA has a, a 612 OPS he's the third highest OPS on the team I mean everybody else is under 600 at this point it, it's just Fred uh, Fred the offense is just not getting it done and, and it's really made this lineup look weak top to bottom when we thought it was going to be and, and I say thought it still can be but at this point it has not been the deep lineup that we all envision. Well, I want to go back to what I said in the podcast. The key to this lineup is Ozzy Albies. When you took out, when Albies was in the second spot, and if Albies is hitting in that second spot, the lineup is longer. Right now, uh, the, I understand why they moved Freddie back to the second spot and pushed Acuna or pushed Azuna up. But when you do that, then there's nobody behind him. In other words, you've got these big three, and then there's a big drop off. Although Azuna hadn't been hitting this year either, he's a slow starter sometimes anyway. But he has nobody behind him. So even they're not they're not bothered. They don't have to pitch to Ozuna because who are you going to have behind him? You're going to have uh TDA behind him? Well, okay, but he's not he's not a four hole hitter. And then if it's not him, who? So you you've got a bunch of people who are five, six, and seven hitters, uh trying to be the fourth hitter and the fifth hitter, and and, and then you get to the bottom of the lineup and uh, until like Three, three days ago, Swanson wasn't hitting. Pache's not hitting uh, and probably needs a break. Uh, you might end up with Heredia and Enciarte platooning in center field because of that. Um, and then there's the black hole known as Austin Riley, where pitches go and he watches them and says, hey, that's pretty. Uh, he's he's just uh, he's hitting like 219 since, July, since the All-Star break of, of 2019. Uh, his OPS is just, oh, I don't have it in front of me now, but it's just over 600 and 650 or something like that. And he's getting worse because in, in 2019, he was at least trying to get on the fastballs. In 2020, he got on them. And now he, he doesn't, he doesn't look like he can tell a fastball from a breaking ball. And 
So instead of having that big bat in the lineup, you've effectively, when you had the bottom line, you had three pitchers. And the, the a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher on the other side says, well, I can walk the bases loaded with Acuna, Freeman, and Ozuna because I'm going to get out of this inning. And nothing down there bothers them. And, you, you know, if, if a Dansby Swanson beats you or a Travis Darno beats you, if those guys beat you, you tip your hat to them. But they shouldn't. They shouldn't beat a closer. And, well, I take it back. Swanson has been known to do that in late innings. But when you get them hitting like this, the pitcher looks at that and he goes, I give those guys that. I'm not worried about it. And that comes back to the way the roster is initially constructed anyway. And the failure to get somebody in behind Riley who can actually play third base every day. Uh, maybe you can slot a Panda and, and uh, Adrianza in there on a rotation and keep them both happy. But I think Panda's better off the bench. And if you put him on the field, you're going to expose him. Adrianza's a utility player because the most he's seen, more more you see him, he's exposed as well. The team needs a third baseman that can hit. And I don't know where they're going to get that. Uh, I got my Lego set out, but I don't think I can build one. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we talked all spring training about the the bench and how we were worried about the bench. And Adrianza and Pop and Panda have been great. It's the it's the starters that have let us down so far. And yeah, it's frustrating to watch. You know, some of them are better hitters than this. Really, all of them are better hitters than this. Even Riley, who I know you're talking about, has been terrible. He's I mean, he's even a better hitter than what he's doing now. And I know Fred's going to have an article coming out on Riley soon on TomahawkTake.com, so make sure that you check that out. But, Alan, I mean, this lineup's just tough to watch. I know they're going to come out of it at some point, but right now it's just it's really hard watching some of these hitters struggle. And you talk about Riley, but really to me coming in the season, and I know, uh, like Fred said, I think Ozzy is, is the key when he's at the top of that lineup. But really the key for me was either Dansby, or, or Riley. One of them had to step up in the middle of that lineup to, to lengthen it, like Fred said, to give somebody that a pitcher's afraid of once you get past those big three or four in the lineup. And right now, neither one of them are getting it done. Yeah, I mean, right now, if you took Acuna out of the equation and got rid of uh, Panda and Adrianza, the Braves would be 0-13. I, I don't see any other solution uh there other than 0 and 13 because nobody else has hit enough to to justify getting enough runs to to score to to win any games which begs the question when are teams going to start pitching around acuna and to face uh even freddie freeman right now because uh they're successfully getting around him he's hitting under 200 yeah he's got a you know, at least a respectable OPS plus, but at the same time, he's just not hitting either. Acuna, if you neutralize him even just by putting him on first base, then you're going to force somebody else to beat you. And right now, nobody's stepping up to do that. So I, I don't know what, it, how long it's going to be, but real soon, uh, teams are going to start doing that because there's no reason to, to, to pitch to Acuna. You almost need to to turn the lineup around, maybe uh, have him bat fourth. Of course, there's that argument again. Uh, have Acuna bat fourth so that he's sort of protecting Freeman and Ozuna and anybody else in front of them. It's just right now a frustrating thing, and maybe it's because the uh, starting pitching in the NL East that they've been facing has been so good. It's hard to watch what's going on right now because it's just, painful at times and 
uh, aside from a few heroics here and there, uh, this this team just is not uh, developing any consistency, and that's uh, that's uh, hard to see. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's let's finish this podcast on a positive note because I know we've been pretty down the whole time, and I'm sure a lot of Braves fans are as well because it's not the start that we were hoping for. But let's focus on the big positive for the Braves, and that is Ronald Acuna. So he has been unbelievable to start the year. Everybody knows it. I mean, he is just on fire, other otherworldly right now. I just run through his stat lines real quick. He has 23 hits. And 52 at bats for a 4.42 average, a 4.92 on base percentage, a 1,000 slugging, and a 14.92 OPS. He had two hits on Thursday, and his OPS went down. Um, that's just seven home runs, 14 RBI, one triple, two doubles, 17 runs scored, three stolen bases. What's impressive to me is he has six walks and just nine strikeouts for somebody who's struggled. Uh, was striking out a lot in his his young career. He's done a much better job of, of putting the bat on the ball and making obviously really hard contact when he does. Uh, I mean, Fred uh, Acuna has just been unbelievable to start this year, and and it's all that I was hoping was going to happen for him this year. I just I pray he can stay healthy and and, and have a full season. I know there's going to be a little bit of regression at some point, but. It's really been fun to watch him over these two weeks, even with the losses that the Braves have uh, endured otherwise. Well, yeah, I, I I was watching the game today, and I said, you know, if I'm the relief pitcher, I walk Acuna, I don't care. I'm getting, I bury Bonds and hit the devil out of him right now. Because why do you put, pitch to him? Nobody else in that lineup is doing is going to do you any harm, and if you do, tip your hat to him. He's the, he's the guy. Uh, and Ian Anderson's quote after the game today uh <laughs> When is he going to get called up to the next league? That's what I'm wondering. Okay, he's 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 playing at entry level ball down here. Everybody around him is just not quite good enough. And you know he's going to come back to earth a little bit. But boy, uh, right now uh, he he's the best of the game right now today uh, because he he's just got he's just that five tool player that that's just not out there. And uh, you know you you're going to argue well you know bets and trout and yeah, okay. Uh, uh, this guy, as it is today, he's the best around. He's the most exciting player around. Um, he may come back to earth later in the year. Oh, Lord, I hope not. But if, but even then, he's going to be better than most of the people in the league. And uh, it's great for the game for that. It's great to have a, for us to have somebody to look at. But if I'm the other team, I don't give him anything within a foot of the plate because why would I do that? Yeah, I mean, he's he's on a Mike Trout level right now, the way that he's playing. I mean, like you said, why why do you even pitch him at this point? I get the NL MVP is behind him, but like you said, he hasn't been hitting right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Acuna is just unbelievable at this point. What's scary to me, or not? it's not scary to me because I'm a Braves fan, but what should be scary to other teams opposing pitchers right now is the way that he's adjusting bat-to-bat, too. What was impressive – and Thursday's game is Rodgers was pounding him inside. He got him a strikeout on the inside fastball first at bat. Next at bat, he got him to, to pop up on an inside fastball that he just missed. What does he do his third at bat? He pulls his hands in a little bit more and skies one out to left field. And that was just really impressive to me. It, again, it's he, he's not just using his God-given ability, athletic ability at this point. He's also putting it together with more knowledge of the game. Uh, understanding pitch recognition, understanding the strike zone. I mean, he's really putting it all together right now. And like I said, it's got to be scary, Alan, for opposing pitchers to, to face him. I got to admit, I was thinking that 
even as I was hoping he would get to this level, I thought it would take another year or two to to really mature into this kind of a, a hitter. And yet everything you're talking about there is exactly what he's been doing and exactly what uh, um, you expect out of superstars. And he's doing it still at a shockingly young age, which means he's probably still got some room to go. <laughs> as, as crazy as that sounds to, to even say. Um, I did a radio thing on, on Monday where I suggested that the, the rest of the schedule for the month of April uh, look fairly uh, good for the Braves, that they should be able to come out of it maybe five games above 500. Of course, that was before they dropped three to the Marlins to start with. But at the same time, I'll, I'll give my bit of optimism in that uh, the Cubs are on the schedule twice for a total of seven games coming up. There are two games with the Yankees. Uh, still, they don't uh, look quite as formidable as, as you would think. Uh, and then they've got also three games against the Diamondbacks. So I, I do think that there's some uh, light at the end of this tunnel, uh, a chance for the Braves to maybe get on a bit of a roll here, maybe get some consistency with the offense, and hopefully they can finish out the, the month uh, going to Dunedin to face the Blue Jays on the 30th and um, seeing if they can get uh, something going and get above 500 before the end of the month. Yeah, so Alan's still in my thunder here a little bit. That's where uh, I wanted to go to to finish the podcast here because the, you know, after a tough series against the Marlins, you know, the Braves go to Chicago for three with the Cubs. The Cubs have been the worst offensive team in baseball so far this year, but I mean, they still have guys like Anthony Rizzo, uh, Ian Happ, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras. I mean, they have good hitters in that lineup that could wake up at any moment, but at this point, They've been the worst offense in baseball, so hopefully it's an opportunity for our pitchers to get on track. Uh, then they go to they got two off days next week, which I don't know why we have two off days this late in the month of April, but uh, but they go to New York, play two games there, uh, which will probably you know will be tough games. Obviously, the Yankees have been scuffling a little bit themselves. But then they got three with the Diamondbacks, who have have looked really terrible at times this year, and then four more at home with the Cubs, and then like Alan said, ending the ending the month going to play the Dunedin Blue Jays um, down there in their ballpark. So, uh, again, it is a really favorable schedule the rest of the way. I mean, outside of the Yankees, all those other teams will probably finish the year with a losing record. So it's a great chance for the Braves to to get back on track, to get some wins under the belt, get some hitters, get some pitchers feeling good about themselves. So uh, hopefully that's the case. Hopefully that's where this goes. Certainly we could use some of that at this point. Um, but that will do it for this episode of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to the Tomahawk Take Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure that you check out the site, TomahawkTake.com, for work from by me, Alan, and Fred, and a bunch of others. Great writers that we have on staff. Uh, make sure that you go to TomahawkTake.com and check out those daily articles there. Uh, but again, that will do it for this episode, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been the... You Can't Handle the Truth edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast, which is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of their participants. No, you can't blame Minute Media except for withholding their supervision. All rights reserved. One of the musical selections used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org 
slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. This was a piece by Kevin McLeod entitled Easy Lemon. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. All other selections used come via rights purchased by TomahawkTech.com. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today, and you know, when it's all said and done, we're just looking for the Braves to find a few good men to play baseball well. And today, Sean Kazmar gets his shot, which we're really happy to see. We'll catch you in the next inning. See you then. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.